roses turn to scat It's better because of you and that's a fact We're in this together, you and I We're in this together, you and I Hello and welcome back to You'll Understand When You're Younger I'm Jordan And I'm Brian and lately, we've been producing very long episodes where we talk to each other about all myriads of things, so I'm not even going to say the word 40 minutes, except I just said it. And a uh, <laughs> special thank you to Ted uh, on the intro song. It's called You and I, and it's available on Spotify or anywhere where you listen to music. Um, Stranger Things 4 came out. We're going to talk about yes. it today. And yeah. there will be so many spoilers so if you have not watched it yet, this might not be the right time for you to listen to this episode, but we want you to come back once you're done with part one of Stranger Things season four. Absolutely. Dad, do you have a question of the week for us to get us kicked off? Yeah, I do. What odd smell do you really like? Um, You know, like there's the obvious ones where like people scientifically are like wired to like the smell of their own like bo like not want to just smell it but like you're not disgusted by it the way other people are i think that's like a a personal safety like fight or flight leaving your scent on things the way a dog pees on a fire hydrant kind of deal things we can't (laughs) explain but that are built into us sure yeah um so that 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 seems like an obvious answer um but the one that I'll say actually is an odd smell is if you ever like if you ever walk into a McDonald's, it doesn't smell good. It does smell odd, but because the food tastes good, I've been programmed to like have that Pavlovian salivation when I smell McDonald's. But if you ever just really focus in on the smell, if you just close your eyes and smell, um mcdonald's it does not smell good it's very odd i'm gonna i'm gonna have to try that because i don't know that i uh i have that same feeling when i walk in i because i a lot of times i smell the french fries right that's and and i really like the smell of them but they don't smell good if you just go if you if i put a bunch it's not just mcdonald's it's probably all fast food places if i just put the bags of fast food in front of you they kind of they smell like grease but not right like not good like it just detached from it like the only reason i know this is because i eat more mcdonald's than any anybody human else should. in the world no more than any human should is what oh. i'll say i can't claim to do the most but um <laughs> in fact i recently just saw a story of a man who or did tony send that to you too man no. in wisconsin who ate um a big mac every day of his life for 40 years it's in the wow. Guinness Book of World Records now. Um, That's impressive. Because he can verify it. Yeah. Um, so he's probably had more McDonald's than me because he's just older than I am. But I eat a lot of McDonald's, and so it ends up in my trash, the empty bags, like the discarded cardboard. And sure. if I don't like remember to take it out and it's the most pungent thing in the trash that, that, that day, when I walk back into my relatively small apartment, you can, just, you can still smell the smell of the fast food lingering on the, the cardboard. And so I would agree with you there that that it's not part good. of this, that smells not good. I, I would agree with you there. I don't like the, that linger of like, if you left 
Like, like, like when we go to McDonald's or something, if we're on a road trip, I want to get that garbage out of my car as soon right. as possible. But for that's, whatever reason, it clings. That's always been the smell. It's the same smell. It's just detached from the experience of eating the food. And so that's my point. It's like, that's gotcha. an odd smell. And I like it, it when it's accompanied by eating the food. But just decoupled from it, you don't want that bag in your car. You don't want it sitting in your house because no. it is an odd smell. So I kind of like oh. it, but I still recognize that it's odd. Gotcha. How about you, Dad? Do you have an answer for this one? I do. And, you know, I think that if you ask this question, you'll probably get this answer probably come three or four out of ten. Um, I like the smell of gasoline, um, but more, oh, yeah. specifically, more specifically diesel gasoline, which is definitely a much Ooh. different smell than regular Ooh. gas. Yeah, see, that's where – see, that's why I'm trying to be a little, little different there. But it's because it's got that that little oily, uh, more oily smell. Oh, but, my um, God. I like the it, smell it, of of – the regular gas, but diesel, like I would get headaches riding on the bus. <laughs> so, and I can understand why, and I'm not sure that I would want to smell it all the time, but what, what made me think about this question was I was, um, I was, uh, uh pedal boarding last week and there's a, a diesel truck that parked next to me, uh, in the lot. And, uh, when he rolled up, I was like, Oh, he's got a diesel truck. And now I could tell from the sound of the engine, but also from the smell. And I was like, oh, yeah, I haven't smelled a diesel engine for a long God, time. God, that's it, the worst smell. How can you like that? <laughs> I, well, it's that's why it's called an odd smell that you like. Oh, man. Oh, so I, I definitely do like it. Um, it, it. Like I said, I'm not sure there'd be something I would want to sit there and, like, you know, huff it. But uh, it definitely is something that, uh, I, that I was like, oh, this is kind of a cool smell. Well, so. it does take a lot of willpower for me to not huff regular gas at the gas station because that does smell great. And uh, Sharpies are another one that smell great yeah. that you shouldn't yep. smell. Um, but diesel, that is absolutely repugnant. And I, <laughs> I'm ashamed to even be related to you with an answer like that. Well, there, we, we, we've got it, man. Diesel gas. All right. Uh, good, good weekly question. And we can now dive into our discussion of Stranger Things. Okay, so when did you first watch Stranger Things? How many seasons had already been released, Pop? So, uh, as you know, I was not a early convert. In fact, I you tried to get me to watch it, you know, for the first two years for sure, okay. and you're like, "Dad, you got to watch it." So I think you really like it. And my response was, "I don't really like horror movies, and I don't like horror shows because I just don't find them realistic." And they don't, they're not intriguing to me. Right. And you tried really hard to convince me that, Dad, this isn't horror. This is more of a thriller, kind of a mystery. And you kept trying to say, Dad, there's a lot of callbacks to things that you'd like. Without trying to ruin it, you, you were trying to point me in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I resisted it and resisted it. And then finally, your mom and I went on a trip to Europe in 2019. And uh, I knew we were going to be on a plane for a while. And I knew that there was going to be some downtime. Uh, while we were on a trip. So I downloaded the first two seasons of Stranger Things and uh, just before we left, and I started watching it. And, and I think I got about two episodes into it, and I was like, wow, I think I'm going to really like this. So we landed in Iceland, and for good or for ill, we had really fast internet at the, at the VRBO we stayed in. So I downloaded season three. And so um, I watched one episode of every uh, – 
season one, two, and three for the rest of the of the uh, uh, vacation. So I finished it in 2019. So I've been waiting since uh, you know season three was released for season four to come out, just like the rest of us. But that's when I started watching it was really when season three was out. I'm sorry. Did you say you watched one episode of season one, two, and three like simultaneously? No, I'm sorry. I was if I didn't make that clear. I watched them all consecutively. So I watch. I I, I watched one episode per day so that I could oh, finish. Okay. Yeah, you left out the per day, and I was very confused. Yeah, I was yeah, like, you know, what? Like, I don't have time to watch them sequentially, so I'm just going to watch. I'm just going to weep them in and out. <laughs> it's like, that would be an interesting way to consume a piece of media for the first time, but it would, be. It would also probably be disappointing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that's that's when I got into it first. Uh, I'll ask you the same question knowing what the answer is, but I'll go ahead and ask. When did you uh, first start watching it? Um, so I, I watched, I don't really know the, if you know the answer, you know better than I do, but, um, I, it took a long time. I think it might've almost been season two might've almost come out by the time that I watched it. Yep. Uh, because just like you, I'm not a, I don't like horror and stranger things was not branded as horror, but it came out when I was a senior in high school. Right. And the the one scene that everybody was talking about from season one was the moment that Joyce is able to communicate with Will in the Upside Down by yes. using the lights uh, yes. to like stand for different letters. My my good buddy at the time Wyatt he recreated it in the choir room. This is the choir room that Jeff Kelly was supposed to be running that I was actually running. <laughs> and while yes. Jeff was in his office, we were running strings of Christmas lights. Um, which we had because our group was in charge of running the school's homecoming dance. So we had a lot of twinkle lights and we got out the box and they were weaving them and hanging them from the ceiling like Joyce does. And then he tacked it to the blackboard and wrote out all of the letters. And that was how we spent one entire day of choir class. Um, And so then I was like, what, what is this? You got to explain this to me. And he's like, Oh, like, and he's trying to explain it but it's a weird concept because will's not really a ghost he's in an alternate dimension and this that and the other thing so it's like mixing sci-fi and and horror and it sounds like everything that i really try to avoid i'm not like a trekkie (laughs) i'm not a lord of the rings guy i'm not a horror guy like i just i i'm i stick to the basics i'm very vanilla with my tastes right so i just wasn't intrigued based off of that experience and that like revelation alone. Um, but then something happened where I decided to give it a chance, probably just got bored and I knew the second season was coming out. Um, and so I started watching it and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I remember, um, somebody actually made me like a drawing of 11 from season two because they knew how much I liked the show. And I've been kind of a super fan ever since. Absolutely. Yep. That's, a, that's what I was going to say. I, I know that you didn't watch it right away. Um, but I, I thought I remember you just as season two was coming out or, or as it had come out, you, you had watched it and convinced your mom to watch it as well. And yep. uh, you guys both really liked it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that is, that is the one thing about it that turns a lot of people off. Obviously, it's a huge success. I would say in terms of Netflix originals, it must be their best performing title, I would assume. 
Um, I can't imagine it's not. I can't think of anything else that would be even close. Right. So, like, uh, there are three different times that shows came out on Netflix that were Netflix originals that I heard about it. Now it happens all the time, so it's not so unique. But the first one ever was obviously um, Arrested Development. They picked it up for new seasons. And right. then they made Orange is the New Black, which yep. uh, um, was a huge success, a huge breakout hit for them. And then Stranger Things. That was the next like one that was such a monumental like piece of news coming out of Netflix that it just kind of changed the way that everybody viewed streaming, right? And, and yep. there's levels to that. And now, I mean, it's just the budget for that show must be insane. Just looking at the amount of CGI they have in season four. But I do think that Stranger Things does turn a few people off because there's a connotation that it's horror. And it, it's right. it can be difficult when you're an advertiser to try and draw the line between horror and thriller. But I love thrillers and I hate horror movies. Like I like The Shining, but I don't like you know, um, parasite or whatever. So right. I, I'm in the same page. I, I really like silence of the lambs. You know, that's yes, that's thriller, a great, obviously. great movie. Yep. Great movie. Right. But I'm not a, a Jason, uh, you know, Halloween, uh, Mike Myers type thing. Um, just, just not my, just not my thing. And, um, what? speaking of silence of the lambs, there are a lot of references all throughout stranger things, which is, it's like, a love letter, a nostalgic love letter by the creators, the Duffer brothers, to the 80s, uh, which oh, is absolutely. the time that you were growing up. So I imagine yes. that must be very fun for you in a different way that it's very fun for me to kind of step back into a time that I never got to experience. It is. Uh, it's kind of funny because when I look at this, um, you know, this is set, this current season, season four is right around 1986 is what it is, right? right. Um, I think so. In fact, that's, that's a little Easter egg that uh, even the Duffer Brothers forgot. The day that it starts is March 21st, 1986. And do you know what day March 22nd is? The first day of spring? No, that is um, Will's birthday. Oh, okay. And, as announced in a previous season when Joyce is like, it's your birthday. She's talking to him in the upside down. And so they announced, so in, in this season four, the, the first day of spring break is March 21st, March 22nd. They forgot, they forgot Will's birthday. Uh, no one says happy birthday to him. It's kind of a callback to the old sweet uh, uh, 16 candles um, aspect of things. He didn't um, seem so. to mind that specifically from what I can uh, tell. Well, I it, it, right, and yeah, but it, it was interesting that all this stuff happened on, on his birthday and it kind of got, got lost. But anyways, the, the point of that is 1986, I was um, going to be a junior in high school. So that was this, I'm basically the same age as these kids or within the same age as these kids. Um, so definitely all the stuff that happens, especially in season four, which we'll get into in a second, I vividly remember all of that, plus the stuff previous to this. So Did you ever go to the roller rink? With oh, your girlfriend? Absolutely. Um, no, it wasn't so much with your girlfriend, but we definitely went to the roller rink and the roller rink was more for, uh, for us was more actually when we were, uh, maybe it was like ninth graders. So that's, that's the age these guys were, we were freshmen. Uh, we were probably seventh, eighth and ninth grade. We went to, to skate land. It was, you know, I think every city in, in the world has a skate land. Not anymore. And so we, right. But they <laughs> did. Uh, and so we did 
uh, go to Skateland uh, with your friends and stuff. Not necessarily with my girlfriend. Um, just just friends. Uh, and people would have you know birthday parties there and and things like that. So did uh, definitely did people get milkshakes thrown onto them? Is that something you ever <laughs> witnessed? I did not witness that, but I did. I will say that I did see some interesting uh, behavior occurring at the. Uh, at the oh uh, okay at skateland okay yeah roller <laughs> you know a lot of makeout sessions sing you know in the corner next to the or in between the the pinball machines things like that by um, their nature skating places are very dimly lit so uh, anywhere absolutely. that is dimly lit where teenage people are corralled to there's gonna be some hanky panky going on absolutely absolutely um that's great uh yeah, I went to a roller rink, I think, for a birthday party two or three times growing up, but they, sure. they've been well past their prime. Uh, oh, Skateville in yes, Lakeville. Yes, Or Burnsville, yes. That was yeah. the one where we would, we would go, and I was like, how does this place stay open? I still wonder <laughs> that. Um, it, I think there's still some nostalgia there. I think it runs solely on nostalgia. It's not like... Like bowling, there's a competitive atmosphere to it, so there's a there's a way for it to survive, and that there's like leagues and sports and stuff. Um, I don't know. Are there roller skating leagues that practice in a in a entertaining oh like, sure. entertainment ring? Like I remember Absolutely. the episode of Psych where there's roller skating derbies, yes. but they take place yeah. on a much larger scale. It seemed like. Would they right. practice at Skateland? It seems like too yes. small of an area. So it, it's just practicing is is one thing. It'd be more about um, you know being able to just work on your actual skating, right? Uh, and, and not you know getting yourself better at at skating and being able to do various different things. Uh, and yeah, it's probably a little bit smaller than the than the roller derby rink is, but it's still the same principle. It's still an oval. Yeah. Um, back to Stranger Things. I was curious after the way that season three ended, how they were going to kind of bring everything to life in season four. Uh, All of the other seasons kind of seem to hint at what comes next. Um, And I I wasn't sure exactly what was going to come on this one. And you can see that the Duffer brothers definitely decided to kind of break into a more late 80s horror and absolutely hard rock scene, uh, yep. which is kind of fun. That's the beauty of using nostalgia as your primary storytelling uh, tool so that you get to explore different eras. Did you feel from the beginning that it was distinctly different, or when did you realize that it was a little bit uh, more horror-y? I think I found, I think I felt pretty early on that it was that way, just based on some of the things that they, that they uh, had shown right away. Um, it, it felt like it just, even the way that they did the filming of it felt even darker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the things were a little bit diff- muted a little bit differently. Uh, as soon as they started showing, uh, uh, you know, some of the callbacks to, to various things, I, I felt that it was going to be a little more horror the other thing is, and I know you're not a big uh, trailer guy, so you maybe didn't see the trailer for season four. I happened to see the trailer uh, for it, and I did see the Vecna, and I saw him. I was like, hmm, 
in in the previous seasons, they didn't show the monster, right? They, in none of the trailers, and again, you probably didn't necessarily see the trailers, but the monster didn't really get shown in the previous seasons for a little while in. Vecna was pretty early on here. So to me, that's that kind of signaled that this is going to be a little more horror-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can we can get into Vecna and kind of some of the horror callbacks that they have on there, but that to me was was one of the big things that they that they uh, used. In fact, they showed Vecna right away. And the other thing that was a hint to that uh, was the the Hellfire Hellfire Club and the approach that they took, because what they're talking about in in this show really happened. And people and were freaking it, out about Dungeons and Dragons clubs. In uh, yes, in in my house that happened, and we can get into that in a second. Let's talk well. about it now. Why do we got to uh, get to everything later? Well, I just didn't know what, what questions you had. Oh, so. we're just having a discussion. All right, so. So uh, when I was in junior high, so this is probably 82, 83-ish, uh, I, you know, I had some friends who were big into D&D, uh, just like the people from the Hellfire Club. Okay. Didn't have a, an Eddie guy, but I had some friends who, who liked to play D&D. And so, you know, I was a casual player, didn't really, wasn't so much into it that much, but I liked, I thought the idea was cool. Um, I mean, just the whole, the, I mean, it's something about a 20-sided die that's kind of cool anyways, right? You have a 20 set of die, you roll it. I'd never it, thought it, that, but I'm glad you did. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. So my mom and dad found out that I had played and was thinking of playing Dungeons and Dragons. And oh my gosh, you would have thought that I, t- that I had sold my soul to the devil. So what it they was, thought it was like a Ouija board. It's just a game. They, they, no, I'm telling you it, they, exactly what you see and saw in uh, Hawkins. That's what my life was. It was, you were, it was the, you know, the satanic panic. There was actually, Jordan, I kid you not, uh, Newsweek did a story about the satanic panic and how uh, people were, you know, being drawn in and these cult-like things were going to uh, lead to people, you know, turning their lives over to Satan and that there's going to be all these killings because of of, uh, the satanic panic. It was, uh, so it went so far, Jordan, it went so far that this is classic. This is classic. Uh, I was, I, you know, me, I'm not a huge fisherman. I, I, you know, I I would go with my dad every now and then not my biggest, you know, thing I like to do in the world, but he asked if I wanted to go ice fishing one weekend. I said, sure, I'll go. And so I went and we get to the lake and we're, uh, setting up, uh, stuff and get inside the ice house. And like 15 minutes later, knocking the door comes and my dad's like, Oh yeah, we have our friends are are coming to join us. I'm like, okay, great. Our, our friends was the pastor. Of our church to talk to you about the about dangers Dungeons and, Dra- Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Oh my God, that's like straight out of Gilmore Girls. They cornered uh, you with a pastor to talk to it, you no, about this, the dangers it's, of. No, it's not out of Gilmore Girls. It's straight out of Stranger Things. That's exactly. I mean, oh man, this is Stranger Things. This that that is exactly. I so when this when he started ta- talking about that in Stranger Things, I was like, huh, this is. Uh, did you did you give it up after that talk? You know, did you I just play was it like, in secret. I just kept playing. I just just didn't do it at our house. You know, it was just more you go someplace else. I mean, you had plenty of friends that you could go to their house and play and stuff. And you know, it was just like whatever. You know, have any of your friends gone on to become convicted murderers? None of them have. Uh, none of them have have, to my knowledge, even unconvicted murderers. That's good. Uh, so so yeah. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. I mean. Role playing games were were a cool way for you to you know kind of get to know 
a different group of friends. You know, as you know, I grew up playing sports uh-huh. and doing a lot of things. But I also had friends that weren't into sports. And so that was one way to, to make connections was, you know, like we like yeah. music and we like uh, D&D, you know, and it was it was a way to, you know, to kind of just hang out. And that, and that's exactly what the Hellfire Club is here in in uh, in Stranger Things. It was a way for people to hang out and and, and have a good time. That's it's, But that's exactly, I'm telling you, when they showed that, I was like, yep, that was me. So I think that scene still exists, but it's more of a an edge scene. Like um, there's Dungeons and Dragons is still around, obviously. Yes, absolutely. Um, and there's clubs and stuff to that regard. But there's also yes. like um, shorter, like uh, smaller scale versions of that, like the, the card games like Magic and uh, right. then there's Settlers of Katana. And there's there's like a specific type of person who's into that who I feel like they depict very well like the Eddie character yeah. in Stranger Things. But I think in my time a lot of that uh the whole purpose of hanging out and like just having something to do has been supplanted by like an Xbox or a PlayStation where For sure. For everybody sure. sits down together and like takes rounds playing whatever the latest game is, you know, Rocket League right. or Call of Duty, uh, right. Fortnite, whatever it is. Um but so so it's regained a kind of like stigma of being for weird people. Sure. <laughs> um so I've never really played any of them. Uh, not because I'm not weird. I like to think that I am weird, but I just never had a a group of people who were already into that who I was friends with. So it it wouldn't have been the first thing that we tried. We played video games first. Uh, but it definitely, I mean, it seems interesting. Obviously, I love stories and getting involved in that stuff, so it could be fun to plan a Dungeons & Dragons campaign, but it also Just seems like... Just don't tell Grandma and Grandpa Johnson! It also seems like a lot of work, and I don't know if who I would play with, so um, it's never been that urgent of a desire or need on my end. Satan hasn't gotten to me yet. But it's funny that they think that that is in any way... I mean, like... Like a, uh, I don't know. It's a game that like there's nothing satanic about it, is there? It's just no, it's just villains no, and your like that's not the it, theme it, of it, is there? No, no, no. You have monsters and and you have different. You know, it, think of Lord of the Rings. That's basically what it is. You right. Know? And, that's kind of how uh, I think of it. What? So I don't know, get it, how Satan got intermingled with that. Uh, just someone got it in their head that that's what it is. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff like that. That we'll say for other uh, that we'll say for other podcasts that that we can talk about as well, um, but yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, that uh, so I can tell you that exact that hit home. I was like, "Yep, been there." Another fun thing about the the Stranger Things formula, and I think that the the Duffer Brothers definitely do follow a formula: is separate adults and kids, and then separate kids yep. by age. And then yep. um, have them all work towards the same common goal, but from their own unique lens. And yes. none of them know what the other one is doing. Uh, they, they've they done that in every season. And it's so satisfying because everything converges at the end where the adults are with the older kids and the younger kids. And everybody who's in the know then has to work together to uh, ward off whatever monster exists in that in that season i don't know if that's how dungeons and dragons works if you go on your own <laughs> side quests and then come together at the end or you could um but that's sure. definitely the formula they follow 
and it never fails. It's really, really great. Um, so I thought that maybe we could walk through, um, you know, how it kind of it takes its way through season four, starting with sure. the younger kids. So Mike heads off uh, to go see Eleven, and they're in California. Yes. Which is interesting uh, that, that they've been kind of put into like a witness protection kind of thing, sort of. I don't know how to describe it, in California. And so they're way the heck out there. And they're separated from basically everybody else, um, which is weird because Mike is kind of viewed as the protagonist in the earlier seasons. What did you think yes. about that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought that was an interesting uh, choice by by the Duffer Brothers to do that. And I wondered how that was going to work. So- um I think one thing is the cast is is so large that you can't give everybody equal screen time. No. no. But I I think that it's interesting that they decided to go with Lucas, Max, and Dustin as their representatives of the younger kind of battalion. And Will has consistently just been kind of a placeholder character who they kind of hid in the corner. Didn't have much to do with them except for him to be, you know, a bit of a wet blanket. Uh, and they kept that trend on this this season. Um, but I, I just was really surprised how they kind of wrote off uh, Mike as well, in a way. Yeah, he, he, you know, they kind of, like you said, they lumped him with, um, with uh, Jonathan, and, um, and uh, that, that's pretty much it. Well, uh, who's, I can't remember the new guy. The the uh, uh, the stoner dude. Oh yeah, uh, I can't remember his name either. But the pizza but anyway, guy. So yeah, the pizza guy. Uh, so they they had him with those guys. So you like it was kind of the older kids, and they they didn't give him a ton of stuff to do. Uh, but I, there's a couple scenes that I thought were really, actually, really well written with 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 Mike and L. You know, when, when she was talking about, you, you don't ever say you love me anymore. Uh, and, you know, she, she signs everything, love L or love Jane. And he just said, you know, from Mike. And it was interesting because it, it spoke to, you know, kind of the way that people can change in long distance relationships or how, how people can change in high school relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I thought was very interesting was uh, when, when Mike and Will were having that discussion, uh, when L was gone and they started having that discussion and he started to get introspective. I was like, wow, you know, you could tell that these kids are growing up because as a, you know, that age kid in high school, you know, he's starting to, to try to, he's starting to think outside of himself. Right. right. And, which and understand why time. he feels what he feels. Exactly. And look at it. Yeah. Instead was, of just having cool. a knee jerk reaction to what she said, which he does in it, the moment. Exactly. But he started to have that introspective thing. And I don't know, if you caught it, but he did, he didn't make, he didn't make note of it, but in the note that she left him, she said from L, she yeah. did not say love L, right. which was, which to me, I was like, huh, that, you know, that tells me that she's still either frustrated with Mike or she's just said, you know what, screw it. Or it has a deeper hidden meaning trying to tell him, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm in peril here. Um, you know, uh, one of those things, but anyways, you're right. I, I thought that, that Mike's role is a little, 
more muted than it typically was. But I really did enjoy uh, the humor that I can't, I wish I could remember the stoner dude's name. Um, I, I thought he brought a lot of humor to this, which, which because of the, the uh, horror nature of this, there needed to be some humor. And I thought right. he brought that. I think that that was the comic relief thread throughout the whole thing. Um, also, another just great scene was when they finally make it to Salt Lake City and they go to Susie's house. Yes. And because it's a, <laughs> a Mormon household, there's all sorts of children running around. Oh, yes. And, it was like Lord of the Flies. Oh, my God. It was so funny. Uh, that, was that was great. So great. Um, and that they could use uh, Susie in that way as well. I mean, so they, they gave them an important task. I even thought when they were trying to escape the 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 people who would come to kill them, that that was done extraordinary, shot extraordinarily like well. I was kind of on the edge of my seat. Um, it, it was. It was much better than I anticipated it to be. Right. So I I, I think that the Duffer brothers are, are tend to be very solid in their cinematography. I haven't been let down by them many times, so... Um, but it was it was nice to see that as more of a you know we're cutting from room to room trying to escape this harrowing situation um, can come across really flat. But I thought that the the thrill was there, and yeah, I loved yeah, that. Yeah, I, I agree that whole exchange with Susie at the household and trying to oh she was hack classic the thing yeah well and she was the hacker and she's introducing them to quote unquote the internet and um they're you know she's talking they're talking about eight bit and sixteen bit. Stuff mm-hmm. and she's she's got oh we got to do this IP address I was, I was like oh my gosh this is classic yeah that was, that was all good stuff and then so then that's one half of the younger clan and then we have um you know Dustin Lucas and Max and Max is dealing with this like deep psychological trauma from having watched Billy her stepbrother die before her own very eyes and. Uh, now she's left with just her mom and she is, you know, just struggling to make it and has issues of her own. And now on top of this, there's an evil monster who is trying to make a psychological connection with her so that he can kill her. Right. Um, terrifying. Absolutely yes. terrifying plot. Uh, and absolutely great idea for a villain. I felt like in the earlier seasons, Stranger Things lacked a good motivation for the monsters other than the fact that it was just a monster um, and that it wanted to get L. Like, that was always part of it. But right. I like that they took the time now to kind of invest in the monster's motivations itself uh, because that gives us, the viewer, all the more, like, um, I want to say willpower, but that's not the right word. Like we're rooting for for our heroes to win all the more, you know. Right. Um. So I like that. Uh, Lucas is, you know, he's dealing with the classic: Am I going to recreate myself in high school, and what do I have to give yes. up in order to do that? And that was awesome. You have uh, said on this podcast, but I just know because you're my dad. Uh, you kind of had a foot in both corners. You were you were a, kind of a, a big football guy, um, partly because of your own interests. You really wanted to get into soccer, but your mom wouldn't let you. And um, 
but you also the people that you spent most of your time with were not sporty people so right. in, th in that sense you were a lot like lucas did you ever have issues balancing between two friend groups or was that not not a big issue it, it definitely wasn't a big issue because i um I, like you said, I had a, I had a friend, I had friends in, in both worlds and I didn't, people, I wasn't in a spot where, um, I, I felt that I needed to prove myself to anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, one thing about my personality, and I think, you know, this obviously having grown up with me, I don't really care what people think about me. I really don't. You have an so, undying confidence and self-belief, <laughs> which, which so, is good. I've learned from that. Well, it's good and bad, but, uh, so for, for me, uh, it didn't matter. Uh, some of those have hit home though. When, you know, when I was in, uh, seventh and eighth grade, I had a guy who was trying to be a bully. Uh, and, and he, you know, he threatened to beat me up every single day after school. And that was always a, a fun experience. And so I could, I could understand exactly where, where, uh, you know, some of that stuff that L was dealing with is coming from. And, and so, so that piece of it, I could deal with the, where Lucas was at. I didn't, I didn't really have to I didn't worry about that. Um, part of that was the people that I was friends with that were into sports also knew my friends that weren't necessarily into sports and, and were like, Hey, yeah, those guys are pretty cool people. Um, not necessarily people that I will hang out with, but they're cool people. So it, it wasn't a, a big situation. There were definitely clicks in our high school and there's definitely people who were like uh, the basketball team in, in the show where you were either with us or you're against us, but that wasn't, I didn't, I didn't feel the pressure. Uh, right. from those types of folks and the people who were quote unquote nerds and geeks um you know what they're not putting pressure on anybody right exactly so and i don't so th yeah I, I think that that is where he sees most of the pressure though is from um dustin saying hey like wh who are you trying to be like you're kind of trying yeah. to distance yourselves from us for what reason um and lucas obviously he feels like it's a join or die kind of scenario with the, the basketball group. So yep. I didn't know um, if you had any experience like that, because obviously mine, my experience in high school was much more uniform. Like I was a choir kid. I hung out with choir kids and band kids, not because I didn't like sports people, but I wasn't good enough at a sport to play it at a high school level even. And so I would have never really interacted with those people because we just didn't have anything in common. So I had right. no social pressure whatsoever because my friend pool was all, they were all interested in that one thing and we were all linked by that love for music or theater. Um, right. And I just, it, it, when I watched Lucas, I was like, oh yeah, I wonder if dad had anything like that. Um, but yeah, in general, I feel like direct bullying happens a lot more in middle school yes. than it does in high school. By high school, people have, at least find found a group that they kind of want to associate themselves with whether or not they're actually in that group or not is is a different thing but those groups once they form tend to just kind of stay internal leave each other alone right. and i think there's a lot less direct bullying and more just social pressures once yes. you get to high school agreed um but those seem to be more self-imposed uh and then We've got the older kids, right? And I think that everybody was waiting for uh, Steve grew a crap ton from where oh, yes. from the evil jock that he was. The first season I hated him. 
he he was a tough guy to like. I don't. He made himself very unlikable. Um, but yes, the Duffer did. brothers, man, they really used him well. I think I read a couple years ago that they had not planned for him to be a multi-season character initially. I don't know, right? If you've but, read no, that, I, I read the same, read the same thing. It was like Jesse on Breaking Bad, right? And so then they were like, "Wow, this guy, uh, the actor himself, he's so pleasant to work with, and we see a way to bring his character further." And now, like. After that point, he became so likable and his relationship, his like kind of brotherhood with Dustin has become so cute that you like, you almost start resenting Jonathan. (laughs) Like, oh man, like why are you even in this story? Like you're keeping these two like beautiful, physically young people apart and spiritually they seem very well, like they're, they're starting to, they're starting to figure it out. Um, and in season four, they just pulled Jonathan away. Yes. Well, I still of, wonder why he's in the show. Right. To put uh, Steve and um, and Dustin. Nancy together. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, the, I mean, that's going to spell trouble for, for Jonathan and Nancy's relationship. And do you even stopped liking Jonathan, I feel like, in season three? When they were yeah. in the working at the newspaper, and she was being kind of harassed by the men of the newspaper, and Jonathan was like, "Well, boys will be boys." Yes, um, exactly. And so it's nice to see that she and Steve are kind of, you know, getting that chemistry again. And I, I always had, still always have always had kind of a bad taste in my mouth with Jonathan and the creepy photos that he was taking at the pool. Yeah, and I always thought I it agree. was. A uh, disappointing decision by Nancy to to link up with him, but yeah, uh, they had their moment in the sun. I mean, it's Hawkins. They're, 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 the options were limited. It it appears so. Um, how would you compare? I don't know if they've actually said anything about what the size of Hawkins is, but how would you compare it to Brooklyn Park Center area? It, much much up? smaller. Hawkins is much much smaller. Okay. Um, our, my high school uh, was. We had 639 people in our class, okay. uh, which at the time was, that's pretty good size. I mean, you know, compared to where you were at. So that's, it was pretty good size. School. So it's uh, Brooklyn Park, Brooklyn Center area was much bigger than Hawkins. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Slim pickings indeed. They just had that little main street with the theater and then they had the arcade, it seems. But right. um, yeah, it's definitely fun to see Nancy and Jonathan trying to figure out things together. And I also love that they kept um, Uma Thurman's daughter. And Nancy and Steve, sorry. Who did I say? Yeah. You said Nancy and Jonathan. Oh, Nancy and Steve, yeah. Um, Uma Thurman's daughter, what's her name in the show? Robin. Robin, yes. Man, she's a great character, too. I really she like her. She is. Robin's awesome. What a great character, yeah. Uh, she well, represents like every like quirky girl like who was part of our like friend group in high school who was just like she instantly funny could make the moment like yeah and was also always going through some sort of melodrama that was probably very unpleasant for her but was very fun to advise on as somebody who's just in the friend group you know it's like not sure. my drama but i get to be a part of it it's kind of fun right yeah, uh, that I, you thrive on that kind of thing in high school so i love that they brought her back in to this season and have her along um, and 
smart as a whip, but also very quirky. I like it a lot. And I thought that she and Nancy together were great mm-hmm. when they went to the uh, the sanitarium. I thought that was I thought that they pulled that off really well. Um, I, I really like Robin as a character. And season three was her first season, right? Yeah. And when they first introduced her, I was like, oh, this is an interesting thing. And then they they really w- wrote her her character in in very well. And she, like you said, this year, uh, she's really grown. I think as an actress, she grew. But then they gave her a lot more to do in this season. Uh, speaking of that sanitarium scene, that was like, a direct shot remake of Silence of the Lambs. What did you think of that? That was great. I so when as I it recognized it, I like, it immediately. Me too. And so there's another Easter egg in there, which I'll talk about in a second. But uh, that was phenomenal. That was such a cool thing. And, and because I've seen Silence of the Lambs so many times, yes, I caught that right away. I was like, oh my gosh, these guys. That's I'm so impressed with the Duffer Brothers. I mean, obviously they they do a bunch of research, and, and but you know. The, the love that they've got for the 80s is 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 really cool. So when did Silence of the Lambs came out, come out? Because I thought it was like 1991 or it something. It was like 91. Yep, 91. Yeah, yep. so they're kind of working ahead of time, but they don't have that many seasons to fit every reference in that they wanted to. It, exactly. And exactly. I've only seen it once. I've only seen uh, Silence of the Lambs once, but it w- it's such a striking and terrifying movie yes, that... Yes and that scene specifically is like so unique where yes. there, where the woman is walking down the Clarice. yeah she when she's walking down the hallway with all the in, different inmates and then coming yes. upon the uh Hannibal Lecter that I was like, oh, they're doing a Silence of the Lambs thing. But I had already known that it came out in the 90s so I was like, I'm confused why they're doing this now. Yeah, they did a couple couple '90s things. I think some of it's because the Duffer Brothers are a little bit younger than I am, and so they they some of their growing up years were '80s and '90s. Sure. And so they're probably pulling some of that stuff in. So the other thing, and I don't know if you know this, but do you know who played um who plays uh, what is it? shoot uh, the old Victor? Uh, yeah. Do you know who who plays him? No. Robert Englund, and do you know who that is? Uh, no. Freddy Krueger. Oh, that's funny. That's yes. Great so they got, they got Robert Englund. That. Yes, he got to be Freddy Krueger. And so one of the callbacks that they have in there, one of the things in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which we won't go into that movie other than the fact that I saw it. I saw like the first five minutes of it and walked out. That's yeah. how much I was like, this is dumb. I never they, watched it. There's, there's this scene in this show where he's raking his fingers across the, the desk that he's singing at. Oh, yeah, else. and he does that in that. He does that in... in in Friday the Third, not Friday the Third, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I was trying so, to think of what I didn't know if that was a reference because I was like, yeah. I'm, I swear to God, Hannibal does not do that, and he does not. That was that was simply because they got Robert Englund to do it. And so the other thing that's crazy about this is the Vecna, the way that the Vecna does his his little uh, killing of people with his hand doing that. That's that's how Freddy does it. Where so the, where his hand like gets expanded out like that? Pulls, yes. Puts his yes. Up. I I don't yes. know anything about Freddy Krueger because again I so, don't watch horror stuff. So. Yeah, it's it's only because you know I do have friends who are horror movies and so I I've watched bits and pieces of that sucker uh, mm-hmm. far, far more times than I want. Right. Um, but anyways, that was uh, definitely definitely uh, a callback to him and the fact that they got him to do that was I thought was really cool. 
Yeah, that's fun. I didn't know that that was him. Um, or if I like, even if I did see the name, I wouldn't have known who he was. Uh, but I thought that they they played that whole house on the hill kind of story pretty well. Um, yeah, just getting to know and hear and see what was happening in the house, like they did a good job of making it still feel like it was related to the upside down. I was a little nervous. I was like, okay, this is going in a horror fashion. Is the whole thing just going to not, is it going to have a completely different tone than the earlier seasons? Right. But, but then that's where we get that L's individual storyline with, with Brenner, um, yes. which I'm so happy that they finally did. Uh, because I think some people, that gave Stranger Things mixed reviews. One thing that they would point out a lot throughout the seasons was undeveloped plot points, characters that are put in um, that we don't get a lot of information about, but that the Duffer brothers kind of make seem significant. And Brenner is definitely one of those where you get flashes in the first season of like, okay, this is the guy who's running, you know, the Hawkins equivalent of MK ultra. And, um, like he's a creepy guy and what are his motivations this that and the other thing but he never really says a word or not many in that right. first season right and then they you know it's implied that they kill him off and then you don't see the body so they get to bring him back to life which is what happens in 80s movies and uh and so he's back in this one heading this nina operation and i really i was so happy that they finally went into uh, all of this stuff, like the initial creation of the Upside Down, and they kind of created um, Stranger Things' own like evil villain antihero guy uh, in one. Yes, Vecna. Yeah, Vecna. So it it was cool. I I I think that that will quash the people who are like. Okay, what's the point of putting these characters in if you're not going to develop them? Uh, I really, I like that um, Elle goes off on her own and does do this kind of vision quest where she has to confront like all of these terrible memories of her past that she's kind of blocked yes. out. Um, and I think that the way that they tie that in to the rest of it right there in, in episode seven is what makes Stranger Things so satisfying is when they, then when they do finally link things together. Uh, absolutely and i i like all those scenes where they're having to kind of perform these trials against each other that circle game where they're trying to force each other out of the circle and right. you think that this six or two i can't remember which number he was is going to be two. the bad guy too and then it totally ends up being the the candy striper who's you know helping her along the way <laughs> yes uh, it was a twist that I I knew was coming, but I didn't see how. Like, I didn't know he was going to be Vecna. I knew he had to be bad news because the Duffer Brothers laid it on pretty thick with him, like, yeah. being in it at all the critical moments. You're like, okay, this guy has to be a bigger part of the story, but where does the right. piece fit? Uh, yeah. And even when she took the little thing out of his neck, I still didn't, like, I thought that maybe he would be the one who killed everybody, and we knew that somebody killed all those people and that it wasn't going to be 11. Um, but even then I still was like, okay, maybe he escaped and he's out there somewhere and he's 
going to have to come and help them put an end to Vecna. But then he is Vecna. The yes. ultimate twist. That, that, that was so well written. Um, and frankly, the young man who is the actor there, he did a great job, I mm-hmm. thought, as well. He, he was ha- convincing. Have you seen him in anything before? I, no. I swear to God I recognized his face, but I didn't know who he was. Yeah, I don't remember seeing him. I probably have, but not, not, he wasn't memorable enough for me to, to pick him out. But, yeah, he did a great job. They, uh, they, like you said, you could tell that he wasn't quite right, if you will. Uh, you know, there's something going on with him. You couldn't figure out what it was. And, and like you said, when, when they took that, that tracker out, I wasn't sure what, what that was going to do or not do. Um, you know, they kind of remind me of Snake Plissken when he had that thing shot in his neck. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a callback to Escape from New York. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, how does this plan? And then they totally flipped it. So that, that, was, that was cool. Um, I, I thought that's, and I, like you said, I really liked that they brought Brenner back and, and kind of gave some more meat to that story. Cause it was a little thin, but, but you didn't, you know, I didn't care that much. Cause it's like, okay, whatever, you know, it's thin, but there's so much, so many other things in here. I mean, you can only do so much, right. That's kind of the way my head was mm-hmm. and all the other stuff that they're doing is so good that who cares. Right. Um, but I do like that they did it. Uh, and part of the reason they could do it is because the, the episodes for the first half of the season were so long, you know, hour 15, uh, and they didn't, they, they, you know, I only had one episode I thought that was a little slower. I always, I thought the rest of my, I was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, yeah, uh, so we take different approaches in the way that we watch it. I'm a binger yes. with almost every show that I watch. Right. Uh, I like to consume it in as short a time as possible. So I watched all of this in one sitting. I only got up Which twice I did not. Uh, to go to the bathroom. And... Other than that, I just watched the whole thing. So I can't even really separate the episodes. But then you texted me. What was it? Episode five, you thought? was No, episode three. Episode, episode three, three was a little yep. bit um, a little slow. slow. But when you watch it as one epic story arc, man, it's it's so good. I, I learned to love that format when you and I went and saw uh, Star Wars 1 through 7 all in yes. a row. Yes. I that was like I was like this is how I should watch everything. Like what am I doing with this this episode here, episode there, you know, watch multiple shows at a time thing. I was like I should watch everything linear and short. And I I've never gone back on that philosophy. I have so much fun binging things when they come out. Um but it does I, I, I got a much older hanging. bladder, so. Yeah, right. You you got to you got to space it out a little bit more. And you also, you just like consuming multiple different TV shows at one time. For me, I'm like, uh, I have one book, I have one TV show, and I'll watch whatever movie if it's a movie night. And you're like, I've got seven books, I've got seven (laughs) TV shows, I've got seven movies that I watch. That's the one that really drives me crazy. You'll be like, oh yeah, I watched the first 30 minutes of Gladiator (laughs) last night. Like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> i could never i i i understand and i think mo- the movie one is one that most people would not do right most people are if i'm gonna watch a movie i'm gonna watch the whole thing uh but for me you know there's there's certain it's like hey once i get especially if i've seen a movie there's no reason for me to to have to sit through the whole thing but there's movies that i um that i have not seen and i'll stop it and say, i'll watch watch something else for a little while oh man you know, just man. my approach it That's is definitely it, crazy it's definitely different 
Yeah, I just, I I don't, like, I'm not against, like, sometimes I'll read two books at a time. Like, right now I'm reading Lenny Bruce's autobiography and Ooh, Crime and Punishment. Um, nice. But, you know, those are at least, like, one's fiction, one's nonfiction. And no, I, don't do it that I, way. I don't even, it's not like I have a problem separating them. I don't know what it is. I just, once I'm yeah. engrossed in the story, I want to see it through. I, I'm I, impatient. I, I think that's the problem. So, so I think that I, I think I'm impatient too, but I'm forcing myself to be patient sure. on, uh, on it. I've, uh, I have no self-discipline. Well, I mean, you do, but just maybe not in this area. So yeah, I have but, no self-discipline, right? <laughs> I'll reiterate well, it, my thought. Anyway, I, so I finished, you know, episode seven, I texted you the other night. What was it? Uh, Thursday night or Wednesday night? I, I finished it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I watched it over the course of five days. Uh, Thoroughly enjoyed all of all of that stuff uh, that that we talked about thus far. A uh, couple other things that I wanted to 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 say is like, okay, so uh, we haven't even touched on Hopper. And, right, and that his was story. that's the fourth one that we were supposed yeah. to get to. And so at the end of season three, when initially you thought that potentially Hopper was going to die, I wasn't disappointed, and not because I don't like Hopper. It had nothing to do with that. It was more wow. These guys had the guts to kill off like a, a beloved character. That that takes a lot of, you know, hutzpah to be able to do that. Um, and I Hutzpah wasn't sure they how, did not have. They did not. You know, and and I wasn't disappointed per se, but I was like, huh, how are they going to make this work? Mm-hmm. And and he didn't show up in the first episode at all. And then the second episode, he was in right away. And. You, you knew he couldn't escape right away. Why? Because there's a callback to a movie back from, from the 60s. Uh, um, oh, and I can't remember what the movie is, but it had Steve McQueen in it. Uh, uh, the, the Russian guard actually calls him Steve McQueen. Remember he calls him the cooler? I the do cooler remember King? that. Yes. So that's, that is a callback to that movie because that's what Steve McQueen's name is in that movie that I can't remember right now. Um, he's called I, thought the it, I thought it was something that, like he was like making a cool hand Luke reference with the guy who no. like, tries to escape a bunch and then keeps ending up in prison. I was like, I, I don't get how that fits, but so, so different movie. that, yeah, different movie, but, the, but yeah, he calls him the cooler King. And that told me that, that, uh, Hopper was not going to escape, um, you know, officially because of that. Um, but I, I loved how that is. And I, and that, that, that guard, I like that. I like that character, but I also really liked um, uh, Joyce and um, Murray. Uh, Murray. Oh man, those guys. Murray's great. I last year I wasn't sure. If, I wasn't sure if I was annoyed by him or if I liked him. And the the movie is The Great Escape yeah. that uh, Steve McQueen did. Right. Um, I wasn't sure, but I really liked how they played this whole Hopper side of it out. I, I thought that it was if he would have escaped right away, I'm like, really? Then why did we do it this way? Um, and then once they did the Cooler King reference, I'm like, okay, he's not going to quite get away. Right. Uh, so I on, really liked it. On one hand, I did really, I liked the idea of him being in Siberia and them going to Siberia. Like, and again, that was a good little relief from the heaviness of the main storyline. But I also thought, I don't know, we're seven episodes in. I think, I think I read there's only two more coming out. Right. Yep, they're both, one's an hour and a half, the other one I think is two hours. Right, so that means that basically all that can happen for them in my head is they find a way to get out of Russia, back to Hawkins, everybody 
links up and they find a way to defeat Vecna. But then I I feel like this task of getting Hopper out is important, but they don't stumble, they, at least not yet, they haven't stumbled upon anything that, to me, like makes them integral to the larger plot. Like, what do they have to offer? Like, they they he narrowly escapes this monster so they know that the upside down is still open otherwise the monster the demigorgon wouldn't exist right? right um like and he draws that conclusion within the episodes but they don't have they don't seem in my mind to have anything to offer to steve and nancy and um robin and dustin and lucas and Eddie, and Eleven, and Owens, and uh, the weed guy, and Brenner, and... Argyle. The yes, Argyle, there it is. And Jonathan, and Mike, and and Will. Like, what, what, what more could we get by introducing these, you know, like, I'm not sure. They, they haven't stumbled upon anything important. Um, so, so I, I think that it's hidden in there, and this is just my speculation for the second quote unquote half of the season, if you will. But, but if you think about how Elle got her powers back by the end of the uh, episode seven, mm-hmm. you know what? What did what did the orderly tell her, and what? How did she actually get her 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 uh, powers back? She had to remember something painful in her past. Um, that she could use as fuel. That's what the that's what the orderly told her, right? right? So the way she, and that's how she beat two. Mm-hmm. But how she beat one? Do you remember what memory she had? Um, I don't. Because you binged it. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, she had the memory of her birth. They actually oh. this. It was a weird little screenshot of her coming out of the birth canal there. I was like, hmm, okay. But it was it was a memory of love. And yeah, that, I do that, I do remember that. Yeah. And that's where she got her powers back with love. And so what what I think, my speculation is that she's gonna be trying to, you know, now she's the superhero, like you told Mike she was going to be. I think that part of what's going to get her to defeat Vecna is seeing she's going Hopper to alive again Hopper and because she know doesn't that, know that he's alive yes and that love of her father and his love of her is he's what's going to put them give over her the, the power to close yes. out the portal yes that's what i think that's my pure speculation obviously but i think that's what it is because you're of, right of, she used love to to do it so that's what he has to offer is the love aspect of things because that's one of the things that he talked about right that hopper talked about was you know his, his, you know the love of his daughter and the love in the daughter that he lost, who, by the way, I wonder if she was tied into this whole Hawkins uh, lab uh, fiasco thing. I wonder, cause they, they, he speculates that it was due to the agent orange stuff, but, but I wonder if there was some Brenner or Owens uh, foul play going on with that. As yeah. Well. People have been speculating on that for a couple of years. Like people thought for a while that maybe 11 was the daughter somehow. Um, obviously they went out of their way to disprove that. Right. Absolutely. I think it's meant to be, again, my personal interpretation, I think it's just meant to be trauma from his past. Sure. That he's, he's learned from. I, I don't, I don't think that she's alive or that her death was caused by Brenner. Um, I do think it was the agent orange and they, he just is a war veteran. Um, sure. But, 
Yeah, I I get I, like I could see that. And I I know like I that's it's a little obvious. I don't think it's hidden that that is going to be a role that he plays. But I guess in that essence, Hopper himself is the key and not something that they learned over in Russia. But for me, right. yes, it's still yes, just it felt very disconnected. Not uh, not unimportant, but just disconnected from the rest of everything else. Like it seems like everybody's moving towards each other. And now for them, it was like, uh, how are we going to get out of here? How are we going to get out of here? How are we going to get out of here so that we can get back to something that we don't even know is happening? So, right. Just, it well, just it, felt it, separate it, in a, it, in a, it, in a wrong way to me, even though I loved it I, on its own. I can certainly understand that. And I'm, I think I'm trying to convince myself of something really more than anything else. Or we, I mean, we can just have different points of view on it. I, I mean, that's fine. We don't have to agree on it all. I just, that was the one part. I'm, I won't even call it a weakness because I loved it. And I really loved that, um, you know, slimy uh, Russian character smuggler guy. Um Yuri. Yuri. I thought I thought that was great. He did he was a fun little like I'm gonna ruin all of your plans without even trying kind of guy. Uh yeah. I, those are those are always the fun people to watch. Um So I liked it. I liked the storyline on its own. I just felt like it wasn't really working towards the rest of it in an obvious way. Again, in a non obvious way, yes, obviously he needs to be there for L to learn that he's alive and that will be important. Um but they they aren't really bringing anything to the table is my point yeah no i yeah i think you're right um but that's it so i think we hit all of the different quests and i think they're all going to come together here pretty quick um crazy to think that there are a bunch of like those missile silos obviously we've been through new mexico and uh driven past many highly guarded places where Yep. There are nuclear warheads, and they're all over the country. North Dakota, you know, has a lot of them. New Mexico has a lot of them. Nevada. Uh, and it's fun to think that there may be some doped-up LSD child learning <laughs> to, to have superpowers in one of those immense craters. I wonder if they're that big and that, yeah. like, tunnel-like, or if that's just stuff of movies. I'll never know. I I know that's a great question because, you know, one of the callbacks is they do make to uh, the 80s and 80s films during this is really the, do that callback to war games, right? When they're doing, when, um, uh, what's Dustin's girlfriend's name again? Susie. Uh, Susie. When she's doing all her hacking stuff, right? Uh, they, they make a reference. They're like, oh, yeah, listen to that modem. Oh, it sounds like war games in Joshua, you know? And so, so the reason why I point that out is that was a bunker that they, that, you know, they had where they um, were, you know, launching missile missiles and things of that nature. So in, in that movie, it's similar to what, what they show in here. So I don't know if it's, if the Duffer brothers are saying, Hey, yeah, this is what they did in the eighties. So we're going to, we're going to show the same thing. Or if they're really like that, that's a good question. Jordan. I have no yeah. Idea. Well, I, my guess is the Duffer brothers don't know any better than we do. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> guessing they not. didn't get a tour of a nuclear site in order to, um, design their own set. Um, Probably not. But it, that is just something I wondered. I was like, I wonder, I mean, like, this is very involved. Like, is it, I mean, 
you really got to dig. It must cost billions and billions of dollars to just build one of those holes. And America's has like what two thousand nuclear armaments or whatever, and Russia too. So that's just so much investment to bury something underground that you hope to never use. Just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, crazy. Yeah. So Stranger Things season four. Those are you know those are. I just kind of wanted to walk through each quest and. They'll obviously all come together, and we'll see what happens. That that comes out in July, and based off of when this gets published, it will probably be very close to that release. Yes. Um, and I we probably won't do a follow up episode then, uh, but it was good to talk about it now and and hear your thoughts. No, I really I really enjoyed this first front of the season. A uh, lot of great things happened. A lot of cool references. So yeah, thanks for. Uh, for introducing it to me a couple years ago. Yeah, of course. The other thing is the Duffer Brothers have said that there's only going to be five seasons. Yes. Which more makes season. sense. They kind of do need to wrap things up. I feel like we keep returning to the same issue. And as an audience, you're like, okay, how, how bad can it get? How much worse can it get? How much bigger can it get? And Vecna, I mean, he is the essence of the opening, the existence of the Upside yes. Down at all. We got to see yes. that. Uh, yes. When L tried to destroy him and ended up creating this alternate di- portal to an alternate dimension, which he now rules over, um, do you think they close it, or do you think that it uh, that the season ends as a cliffhanger? Because none of the other seasons have ended as a cliffhanger. Um, I that's a great question, Jordan. I don't know. Um. It would be I, weird to me because he seems like like the final boss, you know. Who? How do you go beyond this? You know, that's right, for well, the Duffer Brothers he, to answer. Yeah, he's the guy who who created all the other stuff, right? His right. his first, like you said, he's he's basically trying to destroy L, right? Mm-hmm. So he's um, he had the demigorgons and you know and you know the whole upside down from the beginning of things, and so now it's coming to be him. And so once you defeat him, what is season five? I don't know. I mean, how much different or what, what, what else can happen? I don't know. I guess think about uh, movies from the 80s and 90s that they haven't hit on yet, and we'll, uh, we might have an answer. <laughs> right, or I need to start reading the Dungeons & Dragons handbook to look what monsters, <laughs> major monsters might be left over. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, we'll see how they wrap it up. I'm very excited. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. And, yep. Let's uh, let's head on over to this weekend media. All right, this weekend media. I can start. Pop. Sounds great, Jordan. Uh, so I I just speaking of binge watching things. I just binge watched uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is an Amy Sherman Palladino show. I'm a big fan. I've heard that's excellent, but I haven't watched it yet. Big fan of her and a big fan of her shows. Um, she made Gilmore girls, which was the show that mom and I would watch when we both got home from school, her as a teacher, me as a student, because it was on ABC family every day at 4 PM. So we would sit, mom would sit on the hard, rock by the fireplace and oh yes hurt her butt so that her back could be warm and i would lie sprawl out on the green love seat and we would watch on our tube television even though it happened to be 2016 yeah. <laughs> yes it was a tube tv uh 
even though it happened to be 2016, it was still a tube TV. And um, we would watch that every day. And it was one, I mean, that's like office level, you know, it's a drama, but it like that I hold it in that kind of esteem. But I had put off watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel for a long time because of the name of the show itself. It sounds really boring. Um, but it's great. It's about this female stand-up comedian in the 50s and 60s trying to make a career uh, as a woman in stand-up because stand-up is famously difficult to break through in the first place. But then back yes. in the 60s, uh, to be a woman, to be Jewish in New York City, trying to make it as a stand-up is difficult. Um and so one thing that that uh, Amy Sherman pulled Amy Sherman Palladino pulled in for this was uh, some real comics and a lot of fake comics who were based on real characters. But one of the real ones they brought in by name uh, was Lenny Bruce, who's uh, one nice. of, considered to be one of the greatest comedians of all time. Yes, and uh, was famous not only for his comedy but for his you know kind of fights. Uh, scrape ups with the law uh, he would get charged with obscenity a lot because he would say swear words on stage or reference sexual acts uh, which you would think shouldn't be illegal in the united states but i guess for a long time uh, they could oh, yes. still charge you with obscenity um and now you just have to mark things at, as explicit um because of al gore's wife right yes uh, because tipper yes tipper lovely lady um <laughs> so i would rather have an explicit label than not be able to speak my mind and i i thought that was cool i hadn't learned anything about lenny bruce but he ends up being an integral part of uh helping the female comedian mrs mazel kind of learn her place in the new york comedy scene and she also had a very you know vulgar style similar to his and how how she should deal with that and i was so in love with the portrayal of Lenny Bruce in the show that I just bought his autobiography, which I referenced before. Um, right. And it's um, the title is a mocking of how to win friends and influence people, which was a big book in the forties that I think most people have heard the title of still. Yes. Uh, Cause absolutely. it's such a big book. Uh, his is called how to talk dirty and influence people, which I thought <laughs> was funny. Uh, very good. And I just started it and he's like talking about growing up on long Island and boy, long Island. It is just the right kind of hellhole for all of these amazing people to come out of. You're not in Manhattan. Um, but you're close <laughs> to it, but you're kind of bait off on this long Island uh, where long, long, yeah, where nothing's like nothing seems quite right, and all the people out there seem like they could belong in some sort of mental institution, uh, but they're all living there together, and at least they have that, and that's how it was in the sixties, and that's kind of how wow. like how it still seems today. Huh. Um, but he's yeah, describing a very good it. friend from Long Island. It will be interesting to see what his thoughts are. Yeah, uh, run this past him. I think that I most people from Long Island uh, don't ever leave Long Island, and the ones that do, um, they miss it, and they miss that kind of like insane. Like there, there's just it's got its own culture, separate from everything yes. else, separate from New York. Yes, it does. And everybody just seems to be a little bit uh, off their rocker. You know, not not that they can't function, but there's some there's something majorly wrong with you if you've made it 
made it through the formative years on Long Island, I think. But part of it is because there's such a huge uh, dichotomy. You've got the the working class folk who are mm-hmm. on Long Island, and then you've got the Hamptons. They're ultra wealthy, yes. In fact, one of my favorite other, like one of my favorite references from Gilmore Girls, because again, Amy Sherman Palladino just packs all of her shows with references, is this 1970s documentary, Great Gardens, about Jackie Kennedy's cousins who lived in the Hamptons and the husband died uh, and neither of them worked and they didn't like all the money got squandered so they're living in this giant Hamptons mansion but they don't have any like servants or anybody so the the yard is overgrown and the paint is falling off the walls and these documentary filmmakers went in and filmed these two ladies Big Edie and Little Edie and they're like throwing uh, pounds of bread at raccoons who live in the house with them and they're like <laughs> singing old records from the I mean it, this it's the most terrifying thing and this was what really solidified my image of Long Island and then now I'm getting to read Lenny Bruce's depiction of it and it's just as as horrifyingly interesting like I kind of wish I grew up there instead of my boring little suburb you know, just so that I could have a story or two from my childhood that wasn't, you know, love and adoration and being taken care of by my parents. Like he's like <laughs> hiding under porches, running away to egg farms where all they do is order eggs from Texas, cover them in chicken shit and sell them on the shi- side of the road as organic grown on Long Island. I mean, it's like it's it's great. They got like a good little thing going there as long as you keep the rest of the world out. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm reading that now. I love it. And Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you should definitely check it out, Dad. You would like it. I think everybody would like it. So I, so Ted, the the guy who does our opening and closing, he and his wife Phyllis just finished uh, the, the most recent season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. And they love it. It's love so it, great. Love it, love it, love it. So you are another person who, who's told me I need to watch it. So I definitely will check it out. Um, it's it's been on my list. I just I don't know. I I just haven't gotten to it, but uh, it sounds like I should. Yeah, it's it's great. Again, I put it off just because the name sounded boring, but I knew it would yeah, probably be good. Um, because um, because I love Gilmore Girls so much, and I know that Amy Sherman Palladino can only make a show one way, uh, and I like that way. So it, it's it's definitely great. You fall in love with uh, Rachel Brosnahan. She's the person who plays Mrs. Maisel. Um, and she's just like a young girl. She's um, she's she's really like captivating, J- just like absolutely a lively. Sure. I-, I love it. Everything about the show is great. Everything about it's great. And Lenny Bruce, kind of cool. How about well, you, I'm, Dad? What what's yeah, your so this week in media? This week in media for me is I finished the series that's on HBO called We Own the City. Okay, uh, it is a six episode series that is about the gun task force in Baltimore and it's made and produced by the same people who wrote and produced the wire. So there's a lot of similarities there because the wire was based in Baltimore as is we own the city. We own this city, excuse me. Uh, Loved it. Absolutely. Very, very well done. I would encourage anyone to watch that. It's, it's very topical. Um, in terms of how it talks about policing and how policing uh, can can change and, 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 and affect a city. So I definitely would highly encourage that. You don't have to have seen The Wire. It's not like a 
sequel to The Wire. It just has a lot of the, it has the same producers. Super well written. The acting in it is phenomenal. I, I, I can't speak enough about John Berthal, who, uh, who is in it as, the, as basically the lead character. But the rest of the folks in there were very good. So if you get a chance to watch that, like I said, it's only six episodes on HBO Max. Super well done. Highly recommend that one. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. And to wrap it up, this week in chess, last week I mentioned Norway Chess, the event was starting. It is in full swing now, and uh, we've got a leaderboard. So standings after round four of Norway Chess have Vishi Anand, and who was the first uh, ever world champion from India, and current world champion Magnus Carlsen are tied in the lead with eight and a half points. You get one point for winning a game, half a point for drawing, and zero for losing. And in third place is Wesley So, our American friend living in Excelsior, Minnesota, with seven and a half <laughs> points. Uh, I'm not going to read the rest of the leaderboard, but it'll most definitely change. One thing to highlight, Anish Giri only has four points. Uh, he's in sixth place. He's one of my favorite chess players, but he's having a rough year. He's having a rough year. Uh, so we'll see how things flip up when the event finally finishes this week, and you'll hear about that next week. Very cool. Awesome. This week in, in what I've got going on is I talked, I kind of hinted at this uh, last episode, but I am starting a run streak. See if I can run 30 days in a row. Uh, I know that seems like an easy thing, but if you Not to commit me. to, yeah, if you commit to making a, a, at least a mile run for 30 days in a row, that's what I'm looking to try to do. So not something overwhelming or uh, impossible, but it is a commitment and I'm looking to do at least a mile uh, for 30 days straight. That's what I've got going on for me. That's nice. I've never done that. I don't think I've ever run a week straight. I almost always take off a day in between my runs, um, just for recovery. I don't, I don't like, uh, overtaxing myself that way. Um, right. I, I think I've never if I run were a week straight either, I think if I were in better shape, maybe that'd be something I would be interested in trying, but I'm, I'm so afraid of hurting my knee. Um, cause I'm a little top heavy uh, when I run. So I commend, commend you on that. Be careful, uh, and have fun. Will do. And that will wrap up our episode, a long one, but a good one. Uh, be interested to hear everybody else's thoughts on stranger things. Season four, hunt us down on Instagram. Um, and we will, we'll engage with you there. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the rest of it lives up to everything that I hope and dream about every night. Uh, as I <laughs> as I wait, because I am impatient. Uh, special thank you to Ted Hanushevitz, uh again for our intro and outro song, You and I. You can check it out on Spotify. Go ahead and take us out. You and I, you and I.